0: you're listening to the really useful podcast this is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com Welcome to the show. I don't know about you, but I always dance to the theme tune and I'm not a dancer. In fact, if anyone could see me, they would say, that is not a dancer.
1: (laughs) You have to give a little bit of a wiggle, I think.
0: Yeah, you do. It's quite a funky tune, isn't it? Uh, Gavin Phillips is joining me. I'm Christian Corley and uh, we have got for you a uh, cavalcade of tech news that matters to you and then some tips and tricks that will help you make the best use of your technology. And we also have some recommendations, I think. We've got at least one. Have you got one, Gavin? I've also got one this week. Would you believe it? Excellent. We've got two recommendations for you. Uh, we will kick off with Apple's new full-sized HomePod. It is back from the dead. It is a second-generation device which sports built-in temperature, humidity sensor, and more. Basically, Apple discontinued HomePod. And now they've brought it back. Apple... um I didn't know they discontinued it, Gavin, to be honest with you. That passed me by no. completely.
1: Uh, no, I, I, I'm going to admit, me likewise, to be honest, Christian, yeah. there's such a, you know, so so many um, home hubs out there now that one dropping off the map doesn't really register in the same way as it would have done, say, five years ago.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, you say five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I would never have imagined Apple would be a sort of a uh, a home hub, sort of smart home integrated unit company. Um So, because there's there's so many out there, but more recently, I mean, the fact that they had this, I I really thought it was kind of like a premium thing. There was something I reviewed not long ago, a security system, which was touted to have integration with certain things, but actually didn't, um, or certainly the version we received didn't. And uh, the Apple Home Hub was one of them. So anyway, uh, they have announced the return of the second generation HomePod, uh, which looks almost identical to the original with a ma- mesh fabric exterior and backlit touch surface on the top. And it's f- uh, powered by the S7 chip, which you find in Apple Watch models and offers the same ultra-wideband technology as found in the HomePod Mini. Um it does lots of things. It has a built-in temperature and humidity sensor. It integrates with uh, smart home things for you to control them. Um, and generally, it's, it's, I mean, if, if you have an Apple computer or a smartphone or uh, uh, or, or a phone, obviously, um, or, or watch, you might feel this is the better option for you. Um, it was discontinued, the original one, for a number of reasons, including the high price This one is $299. Now, I wouldn't say that's a low price for a home hub, is it?
1: No, but I think it's more akin to to what you expect to pay for home hubs these days that are more integrated with other smart home technology and i think that's one of the key features to point out here is apple have been somewhat un-apple like and they've actually included the Matter smart home yeah. standard that was launched at the end of 2022 uh, and for those that don't know this standard makes it much easier for all of your smart home devices to communicate with each other. So previously you'd have various different communication standards which meant that if you bought a home hub that used one, you would probably have to kit out your entire home using that specific communication standard. Matter has come in and although not everything supports it yet, more and more manufacturers are rolling out with this new standard because it makes everything so
0: much easier. Exactly. We'll move on now to the news that you can now repair your broken Galaxy S22. Uh, we've talked about the uh, right to repair movement in the past on the Really Useful Podcast, and it's a, it's basically a um, movement that um, pushes for people to be able to repair their technology rather than having to send it to landfill or pay extortionate prices for the manufacturers to repair it iFixit has been uh, given lots of uh, in uh, well given permission and given the, uh, the the special bits that they probably didn't no one was allowed to republish or know about uh, in- instructions guides whatever um, steps clues unlockables to make it possible to repair things. Uh, Samsung launched a self repair program last year and it is now. Added to that the Samsung S22 and the S22 Ultra. Um, I mean, it's not cheap, though. As with other phones, including Samsung's self-repair program, you can replace three parts of a Galaxy S22. The screen, which includes the mid-frame and battery, which is $160, or $183 for the S22 Plus, or $233 for the S22 Ultra. Um, wow. <laughs> the charging port costs $60, And the back glass costs $60 as well. I mean, looking at those prices, you can kind of get a clue as to why maybe Samsung was quite willing to join the uh, self-repair program.
1: Absolutely.
0: Gosh, Uh,
1: instead of people RMAing their phones, they were like, oh, you guys just, just have a little go at it yourselves and then see what happens.
0: Yeah. Oh, look, our profits have gone up yeah oh you that <laughs> yes um so i mean i mean those are expensive it's not unusual for um displays to cost a lot of money uh, especially these days i remember uh oh, there was a phone i replaced the display on with third party equipment uh many years ago and the third party uh display was substandard so what happened this was in this was a HTC HD 7 or HD 2 one or the other and the new screen basically got hot oh wow yeah um, so I had to get another screen which I mean all in all i probably spent a hundred pound on those two displays one was like 30 the other one was like 70 the one that worked was like 70 and so it is important to get the real deal when you're buying these uh, displays so i mean with that price you are expecting top quality replacements not i think you are yeah.
1: yeah and if and if they come from an actual self-repair program at least you know that you are going to have the actual correct part with it the worry i think with these things though like everybody should have the chance to fix their their smartphone i know from previous attempts at fixing a variety of smartphones that i've managed to replace a part but i've broken something else in the process (laughs) yeah um so like often you have to remove you know you have to unclip the radio or you know you have to take apart the the sealant that makes the phone waterproof and that's another big thing as well is if you have a you know a waterproof smartphone as most of them are now to a degree once you crack it open you know there's no guarantee it's going to remain waterproof once you put it back together again so that's always something to consider
0: yes that is a problem uh, I remember just double-sided sticky tape was holding one of my phones together and you know once you'd uh, opened it up and peeled that off you just replaced it with another sort of four slices of uh, double-sided tape which these days in the you know with the in the age of oh, as you say waterproof phones that seems very very basic because now we're talking like little bits of rubber piping aren't we
1: Yeah, like a full blown gaskets around the entire edge and then with internal features have them as well, you know, so and once you take them off, I know on iFixit they do have replacement guides for these specific things because it's a big part of it. But the actual reality of it is uh, unless you have sometimes the proper glue or, you know, the rubber gasket fits on perfectly again, I don't know, I wouldn't be trying to drop my my phone in in a bowl of water anytime soon, that's for sure.
0: That reminds me of that review I did for a, uh, a rugged phone a few a few months ago, which I dropped into a bucket of water. But uh, let's move on. Gavin, <laughs> what was your first music player?
1: I had um, the original
0: Discman. Um,
1: oh. Yeah, which was really cool. But uh, And although part of the technology was obviously that it wouldn't skip when you were walking... definitely definitely did (laughs) Uh, but I absolutely loved it it was great you know And it was the first time for me that I could you know pop a disc in and walk around with it and you could actually go down to the local music shop or HMV or whatever it was at the time and you know browsing music was was good fun Uh, what about yourself
0: Um, well do you know what? I've got a discman in here somewhere Um, but my first thing was a, a kind of a a cassette player with some, uh, you know, a uh, Sony Walkman style cassette player, but a, a lot cheaper, and with some really uncomfortable headphones with orange foam on them. And that, those little metal straps that go across the head. They were horrible, especially if you oh, fell good. asleep wearing them and you woke up with, like, a cauliflower ear. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't a Sony Walkman because they were too expensive uh, for, for the likes of us, but uh, the Sony Walkman is back incredibly... <laughs> And it looks amazing, I have to say. I'm really impressed with it. I, I yeah. Music's been going in a strange direction lately, hasn't it? We've been going back towards more tangible uh, formats. And now we've got the Sony Wartman NW-A306, which is designed with 36 hours of battery life, which is pretty cool, isn't it? I, th-
1: yeah, It does look really nice, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I think there's a Big push in the last sort of uh, year or so, maybe a little bit longer than that, towards having an actual uh, portable music player again, which is interesting because you know obviously uh, smartphones came along and we were like, ha, don't need to carry all these extra devices anymore. Uh, you know, it's all from your phone. But uh, there's like a growing interest in having higher quality overall audio. Um, and i think sony have realized this is why they've launched this new walkman um i've noted that it only has uh, only has 16-bit audio uh, and if you really wanted like a full high-res audio experience you'd go for something probably with 24-bit or or 32-bit um to get full high-res audio but with that in mind it's still going to sound a lot lot better than basically anything your smartphone can produce even if you're using one of the high-res bluetooth audio codecs that you can get on on android and uh, apple has its own version as well um the price as well is pretty good i think it's three 350 bucks i read which is pretty good overall
0: yeah it's uh it has wi-fi as well so you can uh, use and it runs a version of android so you can you know all those um things Spotify or Amazon Music or Audible, audiobooks, things like that, Uh, podcasts. You can listen to all those on it as well. I think it's a really nifty piece of kit. It looks a bit smaller than the standard uh, old-fashioned Warpman. I would say it's probably about the size of an actual cassette tape rather than a thing that you put cassette tape in. It has a USB-C port and, and buttons down the side and a touchscreen device. It looks really... I really fancy it to be honest yeah, with you.
1: It is really nice. I really like it, uh, really like the look of it. Um, one thing I would say, though, is if you don't want to go for the massive or you know, quite a large outlay, isn't it? 350, 400 bucks. Yep. You could always get um, a portable DAC, a digital to analog converter that plugs into the USB-C port on your smartphone. Uh, and you can pick up really good, uh, a really good DAC, portable DAC for, you know, 50, 60 bucks. And that will massively improve the audio output of uh, your smartphone without having a massive outlay. So that's another thing for people to consider if they want better audio, but want to keep a few more pennies in their pocket.
0: Good tip. Now, I'll make use of colleague and our really useful podcast colleague, Ben Stegner. Uh, recently, I say recently, it was a few months ago, but uh, we'll go, go, bear with me. Um, compiled a list of the must have Windows apps and software for any new PC. Regular listeners will know that I use Linux. Uh, Gavin is a Windows user, but back behind me in the uh, house, is a Windows PC that my family use, or a Windows laptop that my family use. So I thought it'd be interesting to uh, go through this list and uh, kind of uh, judge the uh, entries and decide whether we agree with them or not, Gavin.
1: <laughs> I feel like we're going to get judged hard, uh, us, uh, us Windows users.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to approach this purely from the viewpoint of someone who needs to install software for his wife and children on the family laptop
1: well that makes sense yeah and it's yep. uh I've, I've had a look through the list and i think there's some good good choices on here
0: yeah okay so number one internet browser google chrome now By... google chrome's kind of ubiquitous isn't it
1: yeah that's what i was going to say i think it, given how widespread it is now used uh and how much of uh, how much of the internet is built for use basically with google chrome Uh, I mean, I wouldn't pigeonhole anyone into using it. There are good alternatives, Firefox, or or what have you. But uh, for an out-of-box easy experience, probably the best.
0: Well, Google Chrome is um, based on a browser called Chromium, which Microsoft Edge is also based on, and various other uh, browsers that you probably have or maybe haven't heard of. Firefox isn't. Now... I use Firefox day to day, but for the purposes of recording this podcast, we use a website called Clean Feed, which uh, gives us nice quality audio, and that doesn't work on Firefox, so I actually have to use Chromium on my uh, Ubuntu system in order to record this show. So, Uh yeah, so as Gavin says, Chrome is the kind of uh, the prime browser and is what almost everything supports. So I think we can go along with that. Uh, Number two, cloud storage. Google Drive is Ben's suggestion for the best cloud storage application for Windows. I disagree with this. What about you?
1: Uh, I use Google Drive because it's uh, simple and it's there. But I also have a a network attached storage at home that I use when I'm at home. So it's a bit of a... uh, It's super simple for syncing when I go out of the house. um, So that's, that's the only reason I use it. Yeah. I mean well, I use Google
0: use? I use Google Drive in a kind of a mobile capacity. So all the photos get backed up onto Google Photos. I'm kinda of using Google Drive in that sense. I use Dropbox mostly. Ah, okay. And I've got a subscription for Dropbox because I've got a lot of data and everything that's been on Google Drive is eventually will end up on Dropbox. Old hard drives, they get backed up to Dropbox. Everything I have gets backed up to Dropbox basically. Eventually I will have a NAS and I will not need Dropbox anymore. Um, certainly not a paid subscription to Dropbox anyway, but uh, in the meantime, yeah, we use uh, Dropbox uh, across most of our devices, apart from the ones that the children have for obvious reasons. Yeah,
1: you know, what, I you think, know kids are like with
0: swiping. Th-
1: yeah, I get for like out of box use again. I think you could go with either of them. Um, one that I've never really got along with though is is uh, Microsoft's OneDrive. I never really found that that useful.
0: Well, I had OneDrive um, for quite some time. Um, Years, actually, because I had a, uh, as, as you'll know, I had a Windows phone way back when. And mm. that came with a bit of extra storage for uh, OneDrive. And uh, do you know, I went into it the other day to find some photos. that I, knew I was looking for a very specific photo of a Raspberry Pi, which I knew that I'd taken on a Windows phone. Couldn't find it anywhere. And the reason I couldn't find it anywhere is because the photos wouldn't open. Uh, OneDrive does t- tend to be a bit flaky for me. I don't know if it's the same for everyone else.
1: Yeah, I've had similar experiences where uh, files just don't work anymore. have become corrupted or whatever. Yeah. I was like, mm, don't think that's happened with other cloud storage services I've used.
0: No. Okay, number three, music streaming Spotify. Where are you on that?
1: Uh, I'm a big Spotify user. Um, we, I think partly because I pay extremely little for it through a family account. I think it's £2 a month rather Ooh, than... That's good. 15 quid a month or whatever it should be uh i think if i was paying full whack for it i might feel differently to be honest because the range of music and the way its algorithm works and pushes very very similar music on you at all times uh is somewhat frustrating yeah but um you know that's also down to me listening to the same genres of music over and over again. Well, wow. so. yeah, that does happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've had Spotify on in the can. I don't like it. I don't like the adverts, Cause the free version, because I have a subscription to Amazon Music, which is what I would go for for this. I think Amazon Music superb, and it gives me amazing playlists, um, like generate playlists based on stuff that I listen to. Um, but because my children also listen to uh, Amazon Music, and we don't have a family plan... Because well, we do have family plan, but it's only me and carry on it because the children are too young to be added to the family plan. So their suggestions are wrapped into our suggestions, which kind of varies. It mixes things up a bit. So um, I w- I would go for Amazon Music for this. To be honest with you, I'd, I'd, to be uh, honest with you as well, Amazon Music doesn't get the love it deserves.
1: I was going to say as well. The uh, one of the other uh, plus points of Amazon Music is that if you pay a little extra, they have a really good high res um audio tier as well which uh, spotify doesn't um oh. and if you wanted that from elsewhere you'd have to go for like tidal or uh qbuzz or or one of the other uh, high res services so if you've got like top tier audio equipment using something like regular old spotify you're not going to be getting the best out of your audio hardware
0: number four office suite ben has suggested LibreOffice, which i wholeheartedly agree with
1: uh i've not used it in, in years at this point i've um i i use just vs code and writing mark I don't oh, right. have much use for, for other for other office apps these days um i know uh, when the kids come home with homework and we have to fire up microsoft office and i look at it and i go wow there's a lot going on on this interface uh, I don't know if it's still like that, but uh, I always liked LibreOffice back in the day.
0: well I use LibreOffice um I think I, i'm tr- I really want my children to be using Linux and open source software and you know they come home from school and they're using Google classroom and stuff and you fire it up in Chrome it doesn't work in Firefox too well and you find that um they have to write something in word I'm thinking well we're using Google Classroom here. Couldn't they just use write it in, you know, Google Drive? So it really annoys me. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I use LibreOffice. I have I've I installed LibreOffice on this computer many years ago, and I'm still using the same installation. I installed it more recently on my uh, my, my more portable laptop with a better battery. And I accidentally—I didn't know this at the time. It has multiple interfaces, so you can re- you can have different skins. So you can have one that looks more like traditional Word or uh, traditional Office apps. You can have one that looks more like the current Office apps with the the ribbon toolbar as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of useful if you're used to one or the other. So yeah, LibreOffice definitely. Uh, more people should be using LibreOffice. I think yeah, we we get we, we shouldn't need to be paying for office software now. It's madness.
1: When there are so many good alternatives. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't, it yeah, doesn't yeah. make sense, does it?
0: Uh, number five, Ben has suggested image editor paint.net. Uh, I have used paint.net extensively over the years. I can't think of a better, more flexible tool that is just, it's not quite PowerPoint because, uh, beg your pardon, don't mean PowerPoint, I mean Photoshop. It's not quite Photoshop level because you don't need those things in it. But it does everything sort of up to the Photoshop level. And it's absolutely perfect for everything from resizing to cropping to recoloring to fixing. It's excellent. What do you think?
1: Yeah, totally. I use it for all for all my image editing for the same reasons. I don't need the advanced stuff that comes with uh, an actual Photoshop subscription. And it has a really extensive array of uh, user-created third-party add-ons and extensions yes. as well. So, um you can get loads and loads of extra features that you, that don't come with the standard installation. Uh, and it even has a user-created uh, content-aware fill. I don't know if you've ever tried that um, extension, but that's one of the things with Photoshop is you, know, you can erase part of an image and it will fill it in contextually from the surrounding pixels. Right. Uh, and the one on paint.net, It's definitely not as good, (laughs) but for very small jobs. So for for a really good example, actually, I took a photo recently when I was on a trip and realized that in one of the pictures, I'd obviously have dirt on the end of the lens and not realized. So on a series of pictures that I wanted to use, I was like, oh, there's a blob of dirt right in the frame. But the content aware fill, you know, because it was a small area, just erased it and filled it in perfectly. So so that's really handy.
0: That wasn't for a make use of review, was it? It was not. Thank God for that. James might be listening. Um, <laughs> uh, ben suggests for security suite to use Malwarebytes anti-malware. I, I, I'm i not sure about this. What do you think?
1: Um, I think... I mean, I'll go in here and say that I have a Malwarebytes subscription and I have okay. done for years. So I use Windows Defender and Malwarebytes. I think at this point with windows defender i probably could drop the the malware byte subscription at this point windows defender is absolutely excellent frequently comes in the top rankings of uh, antivirus testing it's unobtrusive it's free it's on your computer already you don't need something like norton or mcafee or bit defender or blah 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 all the different antivirus software that they want to sell you that costs loads of money you just need windows defender and you need to keep it up to date and that's all anybody needs these days
0: yeah and keep your browser up to date as well
1: yeah oh yeah t- yeah absolutely but like the general thing of you know antivirus companies you know trying to get you to spend 100 200 quid a year to buy a product that You know does exactly the same as windows defender maybe with a few little extra features here and there but most people don't need those extra features they just need their computer to be secure and for my money windows defender does that
0: yeah i mean i've probably told this story before but 20 years ago i installed uh, windows xp and um within sort of minutes my computer had a worm
1: (laughs) yeah because you know
0: windows xp had no active firewall and there was worms on the internet and you know you just log on to the um, you know they, they connect to your ISP and you know with, within minutes of being on the internet you've got a worm on your computer and it's purely because of um, a lack of security software on Windows XP. Uh, as I say 20 years ago we went out to Windows 10 and 11 and mm-hmm. they're far hardier. You've got Windows Defender. Yeah, you You really don't need third-party as security software unless you're doing something really risky with your computer on the internet and with with dodgy data um number seven media player (laughs) vlc i think everyone's going to agree with that aren't they it's marvelous
1: yeah there's nothing better than vlc i mean there's arguably better ones with more plugins but like i don't know why would you use them just VLC just works perfectly every single time, and it supports a ridiculous range of, of video formats, uh, and it's free. So like, yeah, why not? yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, number eight screenshots use ShareX or oh, Sh- ShareX? Is it ShareX? Okay. I ShareX. Said ShareX. I'm I'm not aware of this tool.
1: Yeah, no, I use ShareX. Uh, it's funny. I'm like, oh, God, I use every single app on this list. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite everyone. But um, ShareX I've used for quite a long time. It's really, really handy. Um, because it can be completely basic in that it just gives you, you know, like area um, control um, of your screen and you can take screenshots of different bits. You can take different shapes of them, but it comes with like really some more advanced bits as well. So you can do automatic uploading to image hosts, um, sending them to your private storage and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's one of those tools that's really great because it can be as basic as you want, but it's got some really nice advanced features as well.
0: Yeah, I'm not aware of that. I, I mean, when I've used Windows, I've just used the uh, the built-in tools. But uh, yeah, that looks kind of useful. File compression and extraction, 7-Zip. That's kind of um... everyone uses seven. Doesn't everyone use 7-Zip now? I know there's a few alternatives, obviously, but I think that's the one that's. Some
1: people use P-Zip. I think.
0: Oh right, yeah, yeah,
1: which is like the go-to. Uh, alternative, so 7zip or Pzip, but Windows is also now be- well, much better than it used to be at extracting file archives than it used to be. Because yes, before is, yeah. I think was it like Windows Seven, Windows A eight point one? It would be a bit like, what on earth is this file? How do I possibly extract it? And now it actually comes with uh, built-in tools on Windows Ten and Windows Eleven.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, there are. Obviously, there are alternatives, but I think 7-Zip is a good one, and it also handles pretty much everything that you need to unzip. So,
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Another useful tip for 7-Zip is it has uh, an encryption function built into it. So if you want to um, encrypt some files in a hurry, you can throw them into 7-Zip, create a password, and they'll be locked up. It's quite handy.
0: Okay, number ten, messaging. Ben suggests Rambox, which uh, accompanied in the article. We'll include the show notes in the uh, in the links. No, we'll include the links in the show notes. Uh, it says boost your productivity in the screenshot, and I'm pretty sure i don't know of any messaging service that boosts my productivity uh, anyhow um this is his pick for the best messaging app on windows that lets you add accounts from dozens of popular messaging services such as whatsapp facebook messenger skype telegram group me discord and even uh other tools like apple music i'm not sure why you'd want to do that i personally don't see the point in a tool like this what do you I mean, would you, would you, and there used to be a lot of tools that did sort of um, all your messaging apps in one. And it's kind of a type of app that I'd forgotten existed.
1: Yeah, I remember one that was um, it was all of your messaging apps built into one, and it also had torrenting built into it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like visal, you know, Vysel software. What was that called? I, can't, I mean, like Quillian or something like that, I think it was. But... Um, uh, to be honest during the work day i tend to keep all sort of messaging apps to a minimum we have you know our, our work chat and that's the only one i would keep open so something that combines multiple chats to me seems a little superfluous, but uh, if you have lots of chats going on, you know, if you are, you know, I guess a, a media manager, social media manager, something like that's got to be worth its weight in gold if you're not having to flick between multiple tabs, multiple programs all the time. So, you know, I can imagine if Ben's using that, it comes with a good, good, good solid, solid suggestion.
0: We've next got a clipboard manager. I've never used a clipboard manager other than the kind of single item clipboard that's built into an operating system what about you
1: yes I've used the one that Ben suggested here Uh, I've used a couple of others as well Uh, it's quite handy if you are copying quite large bits of information or you're doing like editing between a few different pieces um, and you need to hold on to specific bits and you don't want to copy them in and out of another document and what have you so it just builds them up as you go along which is really handy Um, but for most people, I think just regular copy paste is is usually enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I kind of thought. Um, number twelve password manager suggestion is Bitwarden. Uh, I think whichever way you're approaching this is you need an alternative to to um, to LastPass. LastPass. Yes. So, I mean, my personal, I use um, the open source tools uh, of uh, KeepPass. Uh, which is open source, and there's various uh, uh, alternatives to it that use the same sort of system um, and database. What about you? Uh, I've used
1: Bitwarden. I've used KeyPass, I never settle on one, to be honest. Um, I don't don't find password managers amazingly useful uh, all of the time. Um, I tend to just keep them where I can see them, um, but. That's probably not the most
0: secure thing to do. <laughs> on a piece of paper in front of you.
1: Yeah, I often do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Honestly. I was yeah, joking. Yeah. Right. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I I always uh, figure if uh, someone can see my password list on my desk, I've got way way bigger problems than. Uh, someone actually accessing my account because they'll be literally in my office. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, number 13, backup tool backblaze. Now, uh, we rewind to the talk about um, Dropbox and cloud tools, all my vital data, I just sync to Dropbox, so I don't really use or have any requirement for backup tool.
1: Yeah, no, likewise, uh, I sync everything to my own storage. Uh, i do take uh, a yearly or six monthly whole image of the computer as well um, which i suggest everybody does because if you know if you ever have to roll back at least six months isn't as painful as having to wipe your entire computer um, but backblaze is a very well respected tool as far as i'm aware
0: Okay, um, you've got the alternative of uh, ESUS to do backup free as well. Um, 14, storage management, Ben suggests tree size free. I wasn't aware of tree size free. I've always used Windeer Stat. Why do these tools have stupid names?
1: Uh, well, tree size free is the evolution of Windeer Stat. Ah. Um, so they stopped developing Windeer Stat and it's now become tree size free. Well, I'm guessing the free is because there's also a premium version
0: so they, um, they actually put a bit of effort into coming up with another silly name
1: yeah and i imagine it has all the same like fantastic squares that mean like absolutely mm. nothing when you look at them
0: um <laughs>
1: but for anyone listening like these tools are really handy if you're thinking god i have just bought a 500 Gig SSD, and it's already completely full. And like these tools, uh, like a storage management tool, can help you figure out where that space has gone.
0: Yeah, I remember a long, long time ago, uh, I had a computer, it had quite a small hard drive, probably like eight gigabytes at the most. And we downloaded something, but we didn't know where it was. And because we couldn't find it, and it was eating up a load of space. The only thing we could do is re image the computer, reinstall Windows. Because oh there's no tool like treesize Free or WindDist or whatever to find it. I mean, there probably was a way of finding it in uh, DOS or in the command prompt, but I didn't know what it was. Cause I'm, I'm going back like 1998 sort of time I'm floating back to here. So my my skills with the computer weren't that hot in those days. So uh, a tool like this would have been perfect to find out where that big chunk of uh, data was being eaten up. Uh, We'll finish with number 15, scripting auto Now This is a tool that not everyone will need, uh, but it lets you define your own commands and create uh, shortcuts and things. Do you use anything like this? Um, You know what? When I had um, a single
1: screen setup, I used to use auto hotkey to create it was like a, a button that I could press that would keep certain windows always on top. So when you know when you're working and you click a different window and it overrides the window that you were looking at, your browser, yeah. you know, pops over your word processor or whatever. And that used to drive me mad. I, was like, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> but being on a single screen screen management becomes a big issue so having this little hotkey uh, you'd select the window press whatever it was control space or something and that window would be like pinned above all other windows which is really really handy so in those instances uh, auto hotkey can be really
0: handy excellent Um, well do you know what Those are a bunch of great apps that you can install on a Windows PC, or you might consider some of the alternatives that we've suggested. We're going to move on now to our recommendations. Uh, who's going first, Gavin? Uh, I can go first if you want. Go on then.
1: Yeah, I'm ready for it. So this week uh, I've got a game, um, and it's a remake of a really, really old game. So the game is called Championship Soccer, and it's like a top-down um, football game game that i guess uh, in terms of its visual style is similar to sensible soccer right um but you take control of uh, one player and you guide them through their career uh so the remake of it um they've, they've brought it back to life in the last few years and people are you know adding bits of code to it and stuff um but i just found it's like a really like in-depth um football game that you don't really get these days to the same degree as you know you, if you play fifa your player career is is over in in a blip well this takes you from the age of 16 all the way through to being the manager of the club in the future as well right um uh, all the players and stuff are made up you can tweak all of the text files in the game to add proper football team names and all that sort of stuff Uh, But it's a a bit of work to do that. Um, There's a relatively active Discord, although it only has you know like thirty or forty people on it. (laughs) Um, And it's a bit of a niche game, but it's completely free. Um, It's quite addictive fun in that the seasons roll by quite fast, and you can get a bit of momentum going. Um, but you're not, you know, your player isn't guaranteed to start a game either. So in the first bit, you choose, you know, you start off as a as a young sixteen-year-old getting into the game for the first time, and it might take you. Uh, 15 to 20 minutes to even get into your first game because the manager's not picking you because you're not very good. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then if you're not very good in the game you might not play again for another 15 20 minutes or so. So uh, you have to have a bit of patience with it. But yeah. uh, I really like it it's a, you know, like I said, it's completely free it's called uh, Championship Soccer Pro uh, and, it, and it's worth a little look.
0: This isn't my recommendation but I've been playing a similar sort of a game on Steam called Super Arcade Football. Which has a sort Whoa. of sensible soccer sort of look to it, um, and you can just you can play one-off games, but it also has a story mode.
1: I don't think I've played it. Maybe I played the demo. Um, yeah, it's quite good. It's, like, it's quite good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's quite good. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, Gavin's uh, recommendation. My recommendation. Uh, you can uh, get more details on my recommendation from the link in the show notes, which will take you to the review of the Evercade EXP. Uh, make use of. I'm just looking around for it. I can't find it. Hold on. No, I must have... Um... Oh, it's here. It's here. It's here. It's here. It's here. It, uh, I thought... I'd, I mean, you don't need to... <laughs> this isn't on video. I don't really need to be holding it. Um, however, <laughs> I'm going to hold it, and I'm going to switch it on. So I got the Evercade EXP. I didn't get the Evercade XP black version, the limited edition. I decided just to get the, um, the, 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 the standard white version. This is a retro gaming handheld. Uh, it will play Aha. cartridges from Evercade. These are curated cartridges, collections such as. Bear with me. There's an Atari Lynx collection of. Ga- this is actually two Atari Lynx collection. So games that you would have had on the Atari Lynx. You can hear it booting up there. There is uh, there's games from Interplay, Namco, uh, Gremlin Graphics, all sorts, Bitmap Brothers, all in Intellivision, codemasters Um, there's the C64 collection which came out late last year and these are all all of the games that have come out on the Evercade, compatible with the Evercade EXP now, what I really like about this is not just that it came with a collection of IREM games you don't even need a cartridge for this one, because it comes with I think 18 Capcom games so this is awesome
1: there's also hidden <laughs> games that you can
0: unlock, but I'm talking 1942, 1943, 1944, Bionic Commander, Commando, um, oh, Captain Commando, Final Fight, Breath of Fire, Forgotten Worlds, Ghouls and Ghosts, one of my favourite arcade games of all time. Legendary Wings, Mega Man, Strider, another of my favourite arcade games of all time. Um, Street Fighter 3, Mega Man X, Mega Man 2, Vulgus, um, Wolf of the Battlefield, Mercs. This, these come built in you got 18 games without even having to buy a cartridge and it comes with a cartridge it is and it also has hdmi out so you can connect it to your tv it has a tate mode so you can turn it, flip it rounds use it uh, vertically for games like 1942 that ha- that were released with a vertical display oh it is so good it is oh, like yeah. the culmination of both previous evocades it's really really good um, I'm really, really impressed with it. So that's my recommendation. Get one of those if you like retro gaming. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's Really Useful Podcast. Uh, Gavin and myself will be back next week. Everything we've talked about you'll find in the show notes. And if you know someone who will find our list of Windows apps useful, share it with them. And if you've any ideas for us, uh, anything we could include in the show in future, let us know. Uh, we will be back next time. Until then, it's goodbye. <coughs>